So Carson Wentz brings the Eagles back a hole that he kind of put them in. So what kind of grade does he get at get for the game? Grayson's grades are posted right now at 97.3 ESPN.com. Scott Grayson, Fox 29 and 97.3 ESPN.com. He joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. An ugly game, Scott, but a win is a win no matter how you can get it. Yeah, they say an ugly win is better than a pretty loss. And, uh, I mean, when you look in the standings, you understand that. But uh, they paid a price for that win, uh, but it was one they absolutely had to have. And, um, well, i gotta be, I got to be honest. I was sitting there asking myself, how is this game – where it is as that third quarter went into the fourth quarter. And uh, hey, uh, somehow they pulled it out. And who knows? I mean, honestly, Mike, you know what it reminded me of? That game felt like it did when Jake Elliott made the 61-yard field goal and they snatched victory from the jaws of what could have been defeat. They went on to a special season yeah. that year. I don't know that the uh, end will be similar for this team here. But let's ask about Carson Wentz. You gave him a B in the game. Obviously, you weigh heavily the last seven minutes of that game. Yeah, I mean, look, 270-plus-yard scoring drive to bring the team back, down by 11 with over five minutes to go in the game. Uh, look, that's got to matter. That's got to weigh something. He had to make some big throws. The throw to Hightower, um, boy, that was a beautiful throw. Uh, you look at the, the passes that he put out there that even drew penalties that weren't completed. Those are big plays, uh, and they're very important in the – to being able to come back like that. Uh, now, did Carson have a great game? No, he did not have a great game. And uh, had they lost, it would have been a C or worse for sure. Still holding on to the ball too long. Um, but, you know, still throwing passes to guys that, you know, would you have expected if I told you at some point at the beginning of the season that, hey, the game against the Giants, uh, if, uh, Richard Rodgers is going to be the leading receiver, guys. It's, it's the book market. You'd have laughed in my face. And, look, I mean – I think Carson Wentz is doing some things really well. Unfortunately, he's not doing it well for four quarters in a game, uh, maybe not even three quarters in a game. And that's a problem. They're still turning the ball over. I, he's got a lot he's got to clean up. But, yeah, I did weigh his grade heavily based on the fact that he completed a fourth-quarter comeback for a win that they absolutely had to have. Yep, uh, Doug Peterson's another guy. I thought they got out of the gates with a great plan, the 15 plays. But then after that, I'm asking, what's going on here? A lot of head-scratching plays. You gave him a C. Yeah, I was asking myself the same thing, Mike. How do you come out and go on, finally open up the game by scoring uh, on a nice, long, consistent drive? You feature Deshaun Jackson heavily, and then you don't even know the guys on the field at all any time beyond. I found myself looking. Is Deshaun Jackson still out there? Uh, they went totally away from him. I love the end-of-round call to start the game. Um, I, I love getting him involved beyond that with some receptions. And then he wasn't around. And, and I don't know why they went away from that. I don't know why they went away from the tempo. Uh, they were running tempo and it was working well. And then they never did it again until they kind of needed to at the end of the game. And look at that. It worked again. So, like, Doug shows these, the, the ability to, you know, make some really good decisions in his game plan. He opened up with a good script. But then he never followed it up with sticking to something that worked. He kind of overthought it. And... Uh, Look, I get why you put Sean Jackson back there, but it's his first game back. You see how important he is to the success of the team, and you risked injury on that punt return, and it got him. It bit him again, and I question whether that was the right call. I also wonder what he's doing on these two-point conversions. Uh, I mean, normally he will you know, maybe be batting about 50%. 
uh, 500, if you will, to, to complete the analogy, they're not converting any of these two-point conversions. And, and it's really going to – I mean, it's costing them. It has cost them, and it almost cost them last night. Uh, so I, I think he's got to reevaluate some of his decision-making. And look, something else that was overlooked, he was late getting that challenge. That's another thing. That, that's on the coach. You've got to make those, those decisions a little faster. Yeah, absolutely. My my frustration with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz as a whole, both of them, is the inconsistency. They show spots of greatness, and then they show spots of failure, and that's very frustrating. But how about Boston Scott? We talk about this Carson Wentz throw, which is unbelievable, but that was a hell of a catch. And overall, he's had so much success against the Giants specifically. Yeah, that well, first of all, you have. I, and that's what I was going to say to you initially was, now let's see Boston Scott doing it against some other team not named the Giants. Uh, but it was he, he provided a good spark, ran between the tackles well. Uh, but you're right, that catch was, um, I mean, that was highlight real material for sure. Reminded me of the one that Miles Sanders made that was a very, uh, you want to call it a high level of difficulty catch in Washington uh, last year. Um, and Boston Scott, look, they needed him to step up, and he did. And quite frankly, I wonder again why they didn't run the ball a little bit more um, with, with what he was doing when they had the lead, even when it was 10-7. to 7. Um, But, you know, I, I, I thought Boston Scott did a really good job. I, I liked what I saw out of him. And now with a little bit of rest, will he be able to do it again next week? Uh, will Miles Sanders potentially be back? Who knows? And, and you know, and, and I know this wasn't in my grades, but I thought Huntley did a good job as well with what he provided um, in the ground game. Uh, Scott Grayson, Grayson's grades are up at 97.3 ESPN. Dot com. One guy we talked a little bit about here today, you gave an F, and that was Jake Elliott. I mean, he misses the 29-yarder. Uh, there has been a lot of questions about Elliott. In fact, Doug was asked about him last night. He was asked about him again today. Now, a lot of it's because he had been missing the long ones, but that 29-yarder, he's missed a couple of field goals in back-to-back weeks that really ended up uh, hurting, hurting their opportunities to win the game. Absolutely. I mean, you play that game out from the moment he kicked that ball. If they go into the locker room having just put three points on the board, it's 13-7. to seven. You know, does New York still have quite as much of a fight? Yeah, probably. But the way that the rest of the game played out, that miss loomed really large. And, look, I'm all for it. I put this in the grades. I understand you're not going to be perfect. I'm asking my kickers, anything 40 and in, you got to make in the NFL. That was 29, and it had no shot from the moment it left his foot. You could see it was going left. And uh, that, to me, is a problem. It's something they're going to have to fix. And uh, you got to start asking yourself if Elliott's the guy. Look, he can miss an extra point. He's done that occasionally in the past. He has made some big kicks for them. And I'm not saying they need to move on from him, but I think there's got to be a little bit of soul-searching going on with Elliott uh, and, and to ask himself, am I doing everything I can to make sure I'm ready to kick that ball when it's time? I think that needed to serve as a wake-up call last night and we'll watch moving forward whether or not it does. But that was a big kick. It's got to be made. That is a must-make. And for that, he got an F. You gave Jim Schwartz a D. I'm torn with the defense because they did create a couple turnovers. Jalen Mills, Josh Sweat got his hand in there, and, of course, Brandon Graham. But at the same time, that 97-yard touchdown drive can't happen, and that 80-yard run by Jones can't happen. So it's like just like I said with Doug Peterson and uh, Carson Wentz, very inconsistent. Yeah, and I put this in there. This continues to be my problem with this defense. Look, I could live in the past with Jim Schwartz uh, giving up some plays, giving up yardage, but not giving up touchdowns. And that's what I liked about this defense in the past. 
they bent but didn't break. This is this defense is clearly bending and breaking. If not for the sniper that got Daniel Jones, that was easily a long touchdown run that totally not only flipped the field but turned into points, and eventually it did. Uh, you know, the big plays are, are troublesome. Uh, it's clearly some sort of a communication breakdown with the guys uh, that are allowing those kind of, of big chunk yardage plays to happen. Uh, Cravon LeBlanc, uh, you know, this to me, I'm starting to pin more and more on Jim Schwartz. You see it with every corner that plays here. The failure to turn around and play the ball. They're grabbing at arms. There's all this kind of, you know, physical, you know, connections being made while the ball's in the air. It's an easy call for the official. The one thing that makes an official have to second guess whether or not to throw the flag is if there's a little bit of contact with the defender, turns around, faces the ball at the last moment, and actually makes a play on it. These guys don't do it. I'm tired of seeing that. And that continues to draw flags and make it harder on your defense to keep the opponent out of the end zone. Look, he gave up 21 points to the Giants last night, to Daniel Jones and the Giants. They're giving up 30 a game. At least they were going into that game. Uh, this is a problem. Too many points. And, and Jim Schwartz, you, you hold those touchdowns, even one or two of them, to field goals, it's a totally different game. Uh, and that's my biggest problem with his defense right now. Scott Grayson's Grayson's grades are up right now at 97.3 ESPN.com. Take a look at the full list of grades for all of the players that he graded last night. One other guy I want to get to, Derek Barnett. Uh, he had been he had the big game against San Francisco. Then he had been kind of invisible, and then he had some flashes last night. Uh, I thought the defensive line played pretty well. Barnett had a pretty good game. You gave him a B last night, but it's almost like what is Barnett? Is he just an average guy? I mean, have we come up with what Derek Barnett? He was a first round pick. They traded up to get that was a while back now. I mean, four years in, what is this guy? Yeah, that is a great question. Uh, to me, I feel like he's following the trajectory of a career that Brandon Graham has had where he just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. There'd be a flash here and there of what he could be, and it never got put together. And then finally, Graham turned into that guy that you needed to pay. Barnett has shown you flashes. He's never – you know, you have to wonder all the time, is he totally healthy? Um, and, and I feel like he's getting healthier this season, and you're starting to see some of the benefit of that. I really like when he's healthy. This guy's move right off the line is quick. It's efficient. He took advantage of a, of a weaker player last night uh, when he was lined up against Thomas, and he was able to get into the backfield. Now you got to finish the play. That's the, the last part of the, of the thing that, that, that Barnett needs to take his game to the next level. Once you get there, finish the play, and that means if the quarterback gets rid of the ball, make it a good hit, uh, legitimate, not drawing a flag kind of hit. And if he doesn't get rid of the ball, finish the sack. You've got to get that guy down. And um, – you know, I, I do. I agree with you. I like what I see out of Barnett at times, but just like Carson Wentz when I was talking about him, man, you got to put it together. You got to put it together for at least three quarters, and four would be great. Yeah, he's a frustrating guy. Could you imagine though, if you're the Giants, you have the fourth pick in the draft, and that's the guy you took, and the way he looked last night—that's discouraging <laughs> to say. Man, we spent a top Absolutely. five pick, a top five pick on that guy last night. Uh, he was pretty bad. Their line stinks. Yeah, absolutely. And the Eagles on the other side spent uh, a pick on Andre Dillard, and you know they haven't really gotten to see yeah. what he can do yet either. That, that Dillard thing is going to be interesting because Mylotta, you know, Doug insinuated today that uh, you know we'll, we'll we might keep him there. We'll talk about it, but I think Peters is going to go back to guard because they like Mylotta, which means what's the future hold for a guy you traded up to get in, in Dillard? I think that's going to be a very interesting story playing out for next season. But man, this season here. 
uh, has been an ugly one. No Dillard, no uh, Peters, no Johnson, no Sayamala, no Brandon Brooks. I mean, you're going to get – this line is probably going to have some more injury problems throughout the year. It's been ugly, but uh, Grayson's greats. Check them out, 97.3ESPN.com. Don't forget uh, Fox 29, Props and Locks. The guys were on last night before the Eagles game. And, of course, Grayson's greats after every Eagles game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Scott, appreciate it. Have a good weekend, man. Thank you. You guys, too. All right. And, uh, like all guests appeared via the boardwalk. Honda Hotline. Grace's Grays are brought to you by Cross County Connection, the region's transportation management association. They're dedicated to improving the quality of life in South Jersey through transportation solutions. Learn more at Cross County Connection online at driveless.com. You all right with the greats? B for Wentz, C for Peterson. Yeah, he's a little harder on the defense than I am. I'm not saying they're perfect by any means, but they got three turnovers. They did. They got three turnovers, but those drives and the biggest were one in the biggest moment. True. That I mean, the, the the strip sack at the end of the game that elevates you from F to D. If you thought he got an F, I also, he was tough today. Yeah, he was. I thought though that the other two first half you got zero points out of two turnovers. I mean, the first half could have been a totally different game if that resulted in points. By the way, some news in the NBA, according to Shams. Of the athletic, the NBA is targeting the return of the season, December twenty second, playing a seventy two game schedule, and it should be a t- December twenty second start, seventy two games, opposing the eighty two game, and then you can get back on that normal schedule and finish before the Olympics. I wonder what this means in terms of fans. Being back I don't in the think you're going to see fans at least in December. Right. But what if what if there was 2,000 in a 20,000-seated indoor arena? I don't know. I'm just asking. I guess. I don't know. Um, indoors is different than I know. football games I outside. Know. The NBA also wants to continue to play in tournament that they saw inside the bubble to determine the eight seed. All right. I mean, it's not like those eight seeds have a legit chance at anything, so it is what it is, right? Just another way for them to maybe create some revenue. I will say, December 22nd gets me excited. I mean, that at least feels like it's right around the corner. Right. You at least have a game plan. It's funny. When you when we were looking at that during the break, I'm thinking, wow, basketball's been less out, than of, two months. out of sight, out of mind. You said that. I'm thinking, uh-oh, here well, we go. The draft's November 18th. Free agency opens December 1st, and then the season's going to be boom right there. Guess you're not going to get any summer league, I guess. Maybe fall league or nothing. I don't know. All right, when we come back, Chad Millman, Brett Okamoto, all this hour. There's never an offseason for the NFL. It's football at 4, every day at 4 p.m. on the Sports Bash. Show The Sports Bash with Mike Gill. On 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, NFL Week 7, college football as well. We got it all for you here on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget the triple header we've got for you on Sunday. You get three games when there's no Eagle football, and we've got you covered all day long. We got that good one. Steelers and Titans is the 1 o'clock game, and then we'll take you out to... San Francisco, New England, and then the Sunday Nighter, which got flipped. It's now Seattle and the Cardinals. Let's take a look at some of the lines. The Action Network's Chad Millman is back on a Friday edition as we get you ready for a great NFL weekend. A lot of interesting lines here. I've been looking at this one all week, Chad. 
this Jets team, are they like the Dolphins from last year when it was like 20, you still like went against them? I mean, they're a home team given uh, it was open to 10. I see it at 11, 10 and a half. But, I mean, am I supposed to feel that the Jets have now got to the point where double-digit home, I feel safe betting against them? Uh, no, actually. And, and, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the Dolphins. Last year, the Dolphins, like, when the numbers got crazy high on them, uh, there was a lot of buyback. And professional betters, including myself, uh, not that I categorize myself as a professional, um, like, starting about week four or five last year, all started betting the huge, huge spreads with the Dolphins. And they were betting on Miami. And they started covering quite a bit. Um, and it ended up being a great value to be on the Dolphins through the end of last year. The Jets this week, like this game, you're right, this game opened at 10. It immediately got that up to 13. And then it got to 13 and a half. And when it got to 13 and a half, the betters, the professional betters started coming in and they started taking the Jets. I don't think the Jets are the Dolphins. Um, and I don't think that betters were betting on the Jets because they think they're a very good team. I actually think Everyone pretty much is of the side that if I'm gonna if I'm gonna bet anything, I'm not betting the Jets because I don't believe in Adam Gase. But there are reasons why they were betting on the Jets that had more to do with the Bills. The Bills looking like a team that is struggling a little bit more. Um, Josh Allen is struggling a little bit more. They're not working sort of in the all phases of the game as they have been earlier in the year. So especially on the rushing side of the ball, like if the Jets can just do the smart thing and try to run the ball as much as they can. There are some vulnerabilities there for the Bills. Um, so that's why the number came down. All right. Uh, another one that I find interesting in terms of the number is how is – all right, this sounds odd to say. How is Washington a favorite in any game? I know it's Dallas, but is that telling you something there? It started at three. Washington was a three-point dog at home, and now they're favored all of a sudden. So – uh, Vegas is real. Like normally, Vegas knows the Dallas suckers will start pouring money in, but all of a sudden they're they're a road dog here. Yeah, well, look, that's got everything to do with sort of how the money has been coming in, and like especially after that Monday night debacle against um, against the Cardinals, like the the bets. There's sixty three or so percent of the money coming in on on. Um, the Redskins right now, so it's a. I'm sorry, I'm the Washington football team, but um, absolved. Yeah, thank you very much. So uh, part part of this is about it's about how badly the Cowboys played, and also seeing what Washington can do on the rushing side of the ball and what they can do against the um, against the Cowboys front seven. Alden Smith might not be playing. They haven't been able to stop anybody. And if there's one thing that Washington is good at, their defensive front four can stop the run, and they can pressure the passer. Andy Dalton has proven he's terrible under pressure, and Zeke Elliott has proven that he's prone to fumbling the ball. So you're starting to see uh, some people thinking there's an edge on Washington here. How about this Titans-Steelers game? It opened up as Titans, a dog at home by one and a half points, and now it has flipped to them being favored by one and a half and one in other places. This is the most polarizing game of the week if you're a professional better because everyone has a strong opinion one way or the other. I am on the Steelers. I like the Steelers in this spot. I liked them when they were two-point favorites. I like them even more when they're two-point underdogs, largely because 
I haven't seen the Titans actually play really well. I feel like they've been winning games because uh, Mike Vrabel has made some great coaching calls. They've played some teams in bad spots, and they've gotten a little bit lucky. But to me, like, they haven't been a team that is really impressed and is worthy of a caliber of a team that is 5-0. and uh, The Steelers, meanwhile, I think they have, and I think they have won against challenging competition. And their rush defense has been so good this year that that is the one strength you can count on for the Titans – so I like this spot for the Steelers. That's a game you can hear right here on 97.3 ESPN. Now, uh, interested because as we sit here at uh, you know 3.30 on a Friday, the Saints are losing guys. Thomas is out. Sanders is out. That opened up at 7.5. It's 7.7.5. Seven, seven if you can jump on it now uh, before that thing maybe changes, you got Panthers plus 7.5 and, uh, and the Saints losing guys left and right. Yeah, I like the, I like the Panthers a lot in this spot. Teddy Bridgewater generally as, as an underdog is really good. Teddy Bridgewater as a big underdog is better. And despite what happened with this team last weekend, like I think that they have played so far exceeded expectations and proven that they're a really well-coached football team, number one. Number two, the Saints, like you said, they're missing talent. They're also just not playing up to the level of the team that I think everyone expected them to be. Drew Brees clearly having struggles throwing the ball downfield. And against a defense like the Panthers that is getting better, um, that's going to be something that they can take advantage of. All right. Uh, Chad Millman, the Action Network, is with us. And uh, you can take a look at all the lines and how they're moving and what, of course, uh, all the different apps out there have. And, you know, one of them is I, I always like, you know, you get that. You mentioned the Monday night game. You get Arizona, who looked really good. Now, this is a little wonky because the game got moved. And you have Seattle off of a bye here. But I feel like the public saw Arizona and was like, huh, they look pretty good. They're three-and-a-half-point favorite. you got an undefeated team as a three-point. I, I get it. It's on the road. But undefeated Seattle getting three-and-a-half uh, – excuse me, giving three-and-a-half here on the road. So I'm interested to see where this money kind of goes because you got the Cardinals who looked good, and they are a home underdog in primetime. Yeah, I like Seattle in this game. And I think that it's exactly what you were saying. To me, it's a, it's a sell-high situation. The Cardinals beat up the Cowboys, and they looked really good doing it. The week before, the Cardinals beat up the Jets and looked really good doing it. But they haven't beaten any good quarterbacks. They haven't played any good quarterbacks in reality. And they've also, except for when they lost to the Lions and Matthew Stafford, and um, so it's interesting to me, there's all this momentum for Arizona right now. There's all this momentum for Kyler Murray. And you know he's going to break open a big run and be really good on the running side. But his passing game has not been that accurate. He has not been a guy who's been blowing it up the last three weeks with throwing the ball. So I think there's – and believe me, the Seahawks' defense is just gross. And you always have to worry about that. But – there's a sentiment that the Seahawks are only winning one-score games, but when they're winning them, they're winning them with touchdowns. And so I'm going to be on the Seahawks. I think this is a, a really high-value play. How about the movement in the Patriots 49ers game? Opened up with the Pats, minus 5.5. It's now minus 2. It's hard to get a read on who the San Francisco 49ers team is right now, and at the same token, you know, same with the Pats. It's a weird matchup between these two, I feel. Yeah, I like New England, and again, it's the same reason. Like, at this point you're getting them in a buy-low situation. And at two points, 
it's five, it's three and a half points off the number. You're going to be getting the best of the number. And look, Belichick and that team looked terrible last week with Cam coming back from COVID. But the 49, the, the Broncos defense is really good. It keeps everything in front of them. And they, they played to New England's weaknesses. I think San Francisco, it's still a little bit banged up. And Raheem Mostert got hurt again. Jimmy Garoppolo still didn't look great playing off that uh, high ankle sprain. He had a hard time pushing off. And what happened is you got a, a Niners team that looked really good in prime time. So everyone all of a sudden is betting them. And that, to me, is a great time to get on the other side. All right. Chad Millman is the uh, chief content officer at the actionnetwork.com. Get the Action Network app. It is a tremendous tool uh, to check out and kind of shop the lines all over the place. So, Chad, uh, what is your favorite game of the weekend? We didn't talk about it. It is the Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns uh, visiting the Bengals. I think the one thing the Browns learned from the last time they played the Bengals, when the Bengals uh, and Joe Burrow, they covered that game with a meaningless touchdown at the end. They came through the back door. They realized that the power of their offense is in the rushing game. And whether it's Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt, they've got a great offensive line. They've got a great rushing scheme. It's what Kevin Stefanski does the best. It's what he wants to be doing. And they've got a quarterback in Baker Mayfield who is too erratic. Either he's under pressure and can't control it, or they need to close out a game at the end and he makes bad decisions. And it's really like, to me, it's becoming a referendum on is Baker Mayfield a franchise quarterback or not. And and we actually had a story this week on Action Network uh, by Chris Raybon that sort of ranked seven different quarterbacks in the past uh, three drafts. And, say, and basically deduce, like, at a number of 407 dropbacks, uh, you've got a really good sample size, and that's when sort of mathematically the geeks will tell you that the next 407 dropbacks are going to be based as much on skill as luck, meaning you know what you've got. And at this point with Baker Mayfield, you don't have a franchise quarterback. So this is going to be a rushing game to me, and they're going to blow through the Bengals' uh, defensive line, which seems to be in tatters right now. Uh, so I like the Browns at three, three and a half. All right. Uh, that's an interesting over-under, too. Fifty and a half is the over-under on that one. That's another uh, thing to keep an eye on in that game because uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati should be fun. Steelers, Titans we talked about. We hit on a bunch of stuff there. Make sure you follow Chad, listen to the podcast, get on the Action Network, and obviously uh, have a little fun on Sunday as the NFL is uh, continuing week number seven and Chad Millman was kind enough to join us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Always fun, Chad. Enjoy the football. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah, man. Looking forward to catching up with him again next week right here on the Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. I like that Browns game as well. I like the 50-and-a-half. I like the over number in that one if I'm uh, going that way. But he kind of hits on the Browns there. That game, 3-and-a-half, 51-and-a-half it opened, and it's now 50 and a half. I like the over in that game. I always like uh, getting some insight there. He also likes the Steelers in that one. Yeah, that's going to be a battle. I can't wait for that game. Yeah, Steelers also play the Ravens next week. Wow. So you got Titans, Ravens. If they get through that going 2-0, got to start taking them. I know a lot of people are taking them serious, myself included, but that's a pretty uh, impressive stretch right there. Especially because they just whooped the Browns, too. Not that the Browns are anything yeah, elite. They're but a step down from the other two. Yeah, but, but still a nice win. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, I agree. Like, they're 4-1. and one. You knocked them down to 4-2. and two. We'll see what happens with the Browns this week. But you beat the Titans and the Ravens in back-to-back weeks. Feel pretty good. I wonder if that Ravens game's on the road or at home. 
because they're on the road this week. So is it like two road games, bang, bang? You know what I mean? Who? The Steelers. Steelers, okay. Yeah, I'll look it up right now. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. So a big UFC card coming up on this week. On the road. So two on the road, right in the road. Titans, Ravens. Big UFC card coming up this weekend. Of course, Habib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje, big one. That's tomorrow afternoon. It's a UFC pay-per-view ESPN Plus. Saturday coverage starts at 2 on ESPN Plus. Brett Okamoto is going to break it down with us. How important is this fight for both these guys? And then obviously, if uh, Khabib wins, what's on the horizon for him? And uh, there's so many storylines going into a stacked card, but this is a big one for Habib and, of course, Gaethje, who uh, I think most people are writing off. How fight? How close could this fight be? We'll talk to Brett Okamoto from ESPN coming up next. Today, it's Game 3 of the World Series. After dropping Game 1, the Rays respond with a critical Game 2 win over the Dodgers. All right, 20 to the top, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, tomorrow night's UFC, or tomorrow afternoon, I should say, huge UFC card. Uh, Habib Navarkamenov is back, and Justin Gaethje should be a tremendous one. We'll get into that scrap here in just a second. You know, um, you know, back I was calling fights for UFC Fight Pass, and uh, there's a couple of guys on the lower cards you're starting to see. Uh, some guys that I've called fights for that, that fought on uh, the... Dana White Contender Series. I'm happy to see some of these guys, and uh, that's what's getting me all juiced up for the card. But it's tomorrow afternoon. I got. I'm gonna like have to sit in a dark room to get ready for this. I understand that completely. I can't wait. As a UFC's man, I'm ready to go, especially with my DraftKings Sportsbook app, which is giving all new users a chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when using promo code 973. Do not forget about this UFC event and baseball, of course, with the World Series. You can turn one dollar into $100. Use code 973. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, a couple of guys, uh, Joe Lowry and uh, Nick Mata. Nick Mata actually had a tremendous knockout. Those two guys are going to uh, face each other November 10th, so I'm looking forward to that. But this card tomorrow is a good one. Uh, Nurmagomedov looking to unify the lightweight championship against Justin Gaethje, who was the interim belt holder, and that is going to be on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. Brett Okamoto, ESPN, joins us right now to take a closer look at what should be a tremendous fight here. We haven't seen Habib in quite some time, but uh, all uh, you know, he made weight. Uh, looks like he's ready to go, but man, a lot of questions uh, for him out there on Fight Island. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you mentioned, uh, it's been a while since we've seen him, 13 months. And part of that was due, uh, of course, to what's going on in the world. And then, you know, in the meantime, he, he lost his father, who uh, was responsible for getting him in the sport. He, he called his father his mentor, his best friend, his, his, his main coach. So uh, obviously going through a very difficult loss personally for Habib. And, uh, and, and, and on to that, he's fighting a really, really good fighter in Justin Gaethje, who everything seems to be clicking for him right now. I mean, his gear has actually gone incredible he, he's coming off arguably the best performance of his career against Tony uh, looks like we're missing uh, some of what uh, Brett is saying here he's got a little bit of a uh, bad connection with us here is he uh, I don't know where he currently is he I don't think uh, could he be 
uh, in Abu Dhabi right now. I don't know what time it would be out there, but uh, I know he's uh, got plenty more. All right, let's get him back in. Uh, go ahead, Brett. Yeah, sorry, I don't know where you guys lost me, but uh, right about Gaethje, yeah, you talked about Gaethje and his year that he's starting at. You know that, that he's having. Yeah, so you compare the year that Justin's had with the year that Habib has had, and everything's gone pretty well for Justin. You know, he came into the year not really knowing where he fit in, in the uh, landscape of, of the lightweight division. You know, Tony Ferguson was supposed to get the fight against Habib Nurmagomedov. Yeah, the UFC was already talking about potentially Conor McGregor getting the shot after that, so you just kind of wondered where Justin fit in. And then he ends up getting a, an opportunity against Tony Ferguson and has the best performance of his career, and now here he is in this spot. And a lot of people, you know, within the sport are saying that he's got the best shot of, of anybody who has fought Habib over the last 29 fights. Yeah, I was going to say, for most people, the casual fan who knows Habib because he fought McGregor and obviously the back and forth with that, and then he you know, hasn't been around. But since that fight, uh, what makes this one such an interesting matchup? As you said, people thought it was going to be uh, Habib and Ferguson, and then, boom, here's Gaethje. So why is this something that the casual fans can uh, connect with? I would say that, uh, okay, so you know how dominant Habib is, right? And he's 28-0. You saw what he did to Conor McGregor. You see his, his wrestling, and, and just nobody knows what to do with him. I mean, he takes guys down, and then he talks to them in the middle of the octagon during his fight. That is how dominant this guy is. What gives Justin a chance, chance I think, boils down to three things. One is the, the confidence that he's got. He's coming in riding a, a huge high, one of the, the best uh, performance of his career, fight win streak. He kind of made some adjustments after a couple losses a year ago. And he's looked fantastic since. He's looked basically perfect since. Two, he's, he's a former collegiate wrestler. He's an All-American at the University of Northern Colorado. So he has that wrestling experience to negate what Habib does so well. And the third, I think, is cardio. Because one thing that people don't realize about Habib, they see the wrestling, they're like, man, you can't stop it. But we're, what's really going on also is making you very, very, very tired in there. And there's nothing worse there's nothing more useless than a tired fighter in the octagon. They just can't do anything. And that's what Habib does. He makes them very tired. Justin has some of the best cardio I've seen in the sport. He trains at altitude in Denver. He puts himself through a very hard training camp. So um, those are three things that are in Justin's favor going into this fight. And, I, I, again, I said it before, I think this is Habib's toughest matchup of his career. Now, they do have a couple of common opponents, uh, Poirier, and, of course, uh, they both fought Barboza. Uh, obviously, Habib won them both. Uh, Gaethje lost one of those fights. You take anything from the styles in those two fights and kind of uh, project it out for Saturday. No, it's it, it's really tough to take, um, you know, anything from like comparing similar opponents because their fighting styles are so different. You know, no one really does what Habib does in terms of taking guys down, holding them against the fence, just making their life miserable. Justin tends to be more of a, a, a crowd friendly, um, you know, aesthetically pleasing type fighter. I mean, they call him the highlight for a reason. He uh, he gets into these kind of back and forth wars, but the fight he had with Dustin Poirier was actually one that kind of turned his career because he had this back and forth battle. He got knocked out in the fourth round. He was he was on his way to the hospital, and he told his coach, I'm, "I don't want to necessarily be just the most entertaining fighter, but I want to be the best fighter in the world." And that was that was a turning point. And since then, he's knocked out two guys in the first round, and then he had pretty much a perfect performance against Tony Ferguson. So there's not much you can compare in terms of how they'll they'll fare with one another looking back at those fights, but the Dustin Poirier fight was a major turning point for Justin. Brent Okamoto, ESPN. The fight is tomorrow afternoon, ESPN Plus, 2 o'clock. What are these two guys uh, fighting for? What's the winner move forward to in this one? Obviously, you got the unification and stuff, but uh, Habib's got a very interesting, unclear future, I guess, and if Gaethje is to win this fight, what's next for these two guys? So what is uh, the end game with the winner here? 
So for Habib, it's legacy. You know, you, you win this fight, you, you check off another box of, of one of the guys that you have to beat, right? If you, if you want to go down as the greatest lightweight of all time, the best fighter in the world, there are certain guys in that division you have to beat, and he's beaten some of them. He's already beaten Dustin Poirier. He's already beaten Conor McGregor. So now he can check off just, Justin Gaethje. And if he wants, if he wants to walk away from the sport, which everybody, myself included, doesn't think Habib is going to stick around for too long, he's not going to be one of those guys who fights into his late 30s, then he, he might only be looking at one more fight left. So for Habib, it's legacy. It's securing that undefeated record and potentially retiring 30-0, 31-0, whatever he decides to do. For Gaethje, it's about uh, generational wealth is what he told me. I mean, first and foremost, it's about proving that he's the number one guy. I think from a competitive standpoint, that's what's most important to him. But if he wins this fight, if he becomes the first guy to beat Habib Nurmagomedov, first of all, his stock goes through the roof. And second of all, then he's holding something that Conor McGregor really wants, and that's the UFC lightweight championship. So if he holds that title, Conor's going to come calling to him. And when you got Conor chasing you, then you're in a very good position to demand a whole lot of money, and that's what Justin Gaethje's going to do. Yeah, and Habib has said he's not interested in even in that discussion. So I guess McGregor's out there trying to uh, or rooting on Gaethje in this situation, right? And, and I guess anytime there's a I card, don't think he'd mind. Yeah, right. Anytime there's a card at that weight class, Connor's name always will come into play. And that's weird. Is he's you know this week he's been talking about uh, you know really the last two weeks he's been talking about fighting Dustin Poirier. In January, and I'm sitting over here saying, why? why? Why are you talking about a fight that does not include Justin Gaethje or Habib Nurmagomedov? Don't you want to see what happens this weekend? And I think that is actually what is happening, because even though we've talked about that fight, and Dana White has come out and said both guys have agreed to it, it's not signed. It's not official yet. So it would not surprise me if Justin Gaethje went out and won this weekend if all of a sudden Conor McGregor's interest goes from Justin Poirier to fighting Justin Gaethje, a guy he's never fought before, and a guy that I think Conor McGregor would feel pretty confident in. I think Conor knows that Habib is a tough matchup for him. Obviously, they fought before and Habib won. I think he looks at Justin Gaethje and says, Justin Gaethje is a boxer. He's a brawler. I'm a pinpoint knockout artist. I could knock that guy out. I think he'd go into that fight very confident. Uh, ESPN Plus at 11, ESPN 2 at noon, and then pay-per-view at 2. If someone checks into the pay-per-view and gets Harris Volkov in that heavyweight, how many bombs are we going to see in this one? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's a good way of putting it. You know, uh, the, neither of these guys is in title contention at the moment. But um, this is what, you know, when you look at uh, the UFC's construction of pay-per-view cards, different fights sort of uh, fill different needs, right? And, and this, one, this one is the one that, that you're thinking you're going to see two big guys throwing shots. Uh, neither one of these guys attempts a takedown per fight. Like, like or if you look over the course of their UFC career, they average less than a takedown per fight meaning that over the course of 15, they're not even attempting to take the other person down. This is going to be, it should be, uh, the way it looks on paper, a stand-up kind of kickboxing, boxing fight between two guys who, who obviously have a lot of knockout power because they weigh over 225 pounds. Then you have your co-main event uh, with uh, Whitaker here. And obviously, uh, most people, I think, are familiar with Whitaker. But, you know, this is one of those things where it, this might, in my opinion, you know, you watch the, the, the main event with Habib and Gaethje, you might see a lot of, uh, you know, if, if Habib runs it his way, you could see him just try to wear down. But these uh, Whitaker and Cannoneer could be something that really steals the show. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Stylistically, it's a great fight. And, and just as a backstory. It's kind, of, uh, it's kind of one of those fun things in which Cannoneer is the shiny new toy. You know, I mean, he's, he's the guy that's uh, the champion of that weight class, Israel Desanya. He keeps talking about Cannoneer. He says, that's the guy. He looks like a monster. I want to fight him. 
And Whitaker is a former champion, a guy who's I think only lost one fight in his last thirteen fights. I mean, he he's, he's, he could still be one of the one of the best ten pound for pound fighters on the planet, in my opinion. Yet everybody seems to kind of be writing him off because you know he lost to Israel Desanya, lost his belt to him, and he's always been kind of you know quote unquote boring outside of the cage. He doesn't really like to give interviews. He doesn't like to talk trash. But it, I always kind of like that situation where you got one guy who's kind of stealing the show and everybody's high on him and everybody's kind of already assuming, like, hey, Jared Cannonier is going to be the guy to fight Israel Destiny next. And then meanwhile, you've got a silent killer in Robert Whitaker. So I think Robert Whitaker is coming in very motivated. Um, and to your point, stylistically, that should be a really fun fight. It really should. Brett Okamoto, ESPN. It should be a fun day of fights. Day, wake up, get your coffee, and uh, get yourself locked in. It's uh, really going to be a fun one leading you all the way up. Now, why uh, did Dana decide to put this fight on? Why so early in the afternoon? Well, um, it's actually, it's you know, and I, I, I'd forgotten this too. Last year, when Habib fought in Abu Dhabi, it was it was early as well. And and, and this is um, this is a, a contract that they signed with the region over there. Abu Dhabi wants to be in the UFC business. They want to be in the events business. They they, they believe that this is something that will attract people to that that region and and you know obviously generate some tourism money for them. So this is this is a five year deal where we're going to see a, um, a a pay per view event or a title fight over there in Abu Dhabi that is catered more towards that region, which means it's going to be in their time zone. So um, anytime they can get Habib over there, that's who they want. And that's been very clear. This, this deal has been in place now for two years, and both times it's been Habib Nurmagomedov. So if you want to watch Habib, you know, and I don't think this is a bad thing, you got to get up a little bit early over here in the States and, and watch it because it wouldn't surprise me if next year they go back to Abu Dhabi, they're asking for Habib again because obviously he's very popular over there. All right, uh, and then last but not least, we know with the fight weekend, it's not crazy to see guys retire and come back out, but what's the news with uh, Henry Cejudo for the right price? It always seems to be the right price, but do you anticipate that there will be a right price? <laughs> I mean, gosh, uh, how long has it been since Henry uh, retired? What is it, like four months? And then he still, he still talks to – he still calls out at least somebody a week. Henry Cejudo does not want to be retired. He, he just, I, I think he's made enough money and he's he's content enough with his legacy that he doesn't have to fight. But he's certainly out there saying, hey, don't forget about me. If the right opportunity comes up, I am available. My services can be hired. I'm a hired gun for the UFC. So I don't think him saying that, that he's considering coming out of retirement changes anything for the UFC, but it's going to be situational-based. When they have a need for Henry, his line will be open. He will take that phone call. I think we'll see him fight again. I just don't know when. All right, Brett Okamoto, ESPN. It's uh, Habib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. Uh, who is your pick for the fight? Oh, man. I, I mean, I, I got to go with Habib. I have to go with Habib regardless of who he's fighting. I mean, 28 have tried, 28 have failed. But like I said earlier, I do think Justin is – does have the best chance to beat him of, of, of any fight in the UFC that I've, I've, I've seen Habib. If, if I've, I've never picked against Habib, but if I was going to, um, you know, Justin that does make me, at least make me think about it. All right. Uh, you can check out all the action, ESPN, ESPN Plus, ESPN Pay-Per-View, Brett Okamoto, uh, with great coverage over at ESPN.com, and enjoy the fights. And, of course, everybody out there, uh, check it out on ESPN Plus. Brett, we appreciate the time. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right. Brad Okamoto, ESPN. Uh, B. Okamoto, ESPN. That's how you can follow his coverage today. I got this text message here on the text board, 609-403-0973. says, funny, the start of the pandemic, Hunter said he would rather watch old tennis matches than he would a live USC event. Is it the, is it the uh, pandemic that has uh, changed your brain? Yes, because... <laughs> 
the only live sporting event. It was either 251 or 252, whatever the first one was. There was nothing else on. Boom, got sucked in. But to be fair, I'm all in on old tennis matches. I'm not out on those. But well, yeah. you're going USC now. Oh, no, over. Doubt, no doubt about it. I had goosebumps listening to that conversation. Now, you are watching the whole Dana White uh, documentary. Yes, I'm two parts into the four parts here. I was up till 3 a.m. This is an unbelievable transformation. Uh, look, I'm okay. I was wrong in the past. I'm easily accepting that, and now I am just all in. Now, I have a lot to learn, though. I, I understand that. There's so much background with these guys. It's like hopping into WWE. Just so first, many storylines. Is this your first Habib fight? No, I was watching the McGregor one. But, oh, but live. Yeah, I watched that live. Oh, you watched that because one? Because I was at I was playing college hockey then, and our whole team was involved, so I was like, oh, I'm in on this one. You All right, I mean? Sports Bash Cash. Here's the second code word. It's the final day. The word is TREAT, T-R-E-A-T. Enter it now on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. The word is TREAT. Enter it now on our website, 97.3ESPN.com.